Hey everybody, welcome back to Voices of Construction. Again, this is Noah Baker. We have a really great one for you this time around. Um, I invite Mark Roberts onto the podcast. Uh, Mark is the COO of BBI Services out of the UK, a recent partner of ours here at TouchPlan and just an all-around really intelligent guy. He's worked from manufacturing early in his career and the Kaizen stuff and Toyota all the way through into working with um, Link Construction. Uh, we have a great conversation about what we can learn from those different industries and, and the commonality and some of the the process and, and the process improvement, but all around just a very intelligent, great storyteller uh, that I have for you guys today. So enjoy. This is Mark Roberts. Well, Mark, Mr. Roberts, thank you for uh, jumping on today. How are you? I'm all good. Thank you, Noah. Thanks for uh, inviting me on. Of course, of course. I mean, it's been it's been a joy from, you know, talking about a partnership all the way through training and, and speaking to you. So we definitely wanted to have you on and, and kind of let the listeners hear your story and who you are. Um, I mean, I know I know a good amount about you now, but why don't we why don't we kind of start from the beginning, um, how you got into the industry where you're from. For all the listeners, we have a, another UK guest here. Um, for whatever reason, your your accents are a hit with our podcast listeners. So we don't do this on purpose, but it works out in our favor for sure. Okay, no worries. Yeah, okay. So just a bit of a backdrop of who I am. So, well, I uh, uh, head up the, I'm the chief operations officer for a company called BBI Services, who um, we work all across the construction sector and the built environment, helping uh, teams uh, ultimately achieve the, the art of the possible and, and see where they can uh, um, deliver exactly what their customers want with a minimal amount of effort and frustration. That's the way I like to look at it. And so that, that's where I am kind of today. How did I get to that uh, position? Well, I'd say it's got to be touching, it's kind of scary, scary now when you think about it, it's got to be touching nearly 30 years ago. I actually started out in first tier automotive suppliers, um, predominantly serving and, and building uh, component parts, fuel tanks, pedal boxes, um, handbrake mechanisms, uh, all kinds of componentry for companies like Toyota, Honda, Nissan, um, Jaguar, Land Rover, um, all kinds of uh, premium uh, or, or well-known automotive brands. And uh, I actually started out as a tool maker. So uh, I was making the, the press tools that used to bang out uh, uh, fuel tanks and pedal boxes and, and bang out all the presses. And uh, the um, I guess I just used to knuckle down with my apprenticeship. I, I got really, uh, I was quite keen and got into it and uh, managed to complete my apprenticeship a year early and it got me high, um, sort of identified within the the senior leadership team and they thought oh, maybe this lad could be uh, useful and uh, instead of um, appointing me as a as a tool maker a qualified tool maker they set me on as a, a kaizen engineer and i had no clue what kaizen actually meant at the time it was all kind of new and um so it was continuous improvement, a continuous improvement engineer. And uh, from there, I was then seconded onto a two-year program 
working with the Toyota supply development engineers, going across lots of um, strategic uh, Toyota suppliers and rolling out different parts of what was called the, the TPS system back then. There was no lean um, references. It was all TPS, Toyota production system. And I remember kind of those years ago and uh, some of the things that these Toyota guys were, were training us to do and, and deploy. In all honesty, over the two years, I was thinking, well, all this is just seems like common sense. And I was quite, if I'm honest, kind of disappointed um, at the back of that, that kind of two year, because I honestly thought, well, I hadn't really learned anything. It just seems obvious what we were doing. And it wasn't until I was pinched and poached and uh, um, asked to go and work for another company uh, from a director that escaped the company that I worked with. And, uh, and he wanted me to, to head up his um, manufacturing engineering team. And I walked around the assembly lines and I was thinking, hang on a minute, why are these guys batch building here? And, and I looked at another production line. I'm like, well, how come they haven't got error proofing systems here? And why is there no work balance uh, low, uh, um, uh, thinking here or any high junker systems or, or Kanbans set up? And then I started to realize, well, maybe I did learn something from these Toyota boys. And, uh, and it was the thing, well, all this common sense, and it was my first really appreciation that common sense isn't necessarily common practice. And kind of, so that was kind of my sort of um, almost grounding really in, in kind of manufacturing and in essence kind of lean ways of working. Since those days, of I've uh, worked for a number of different companies, different sectors, had the luxury to, to kind of absorb knowledge and, and, and tackle challenges uh, in, in very different kind of environments. So from steel making, I used to have a senior management role in Tata Steel and uh, uh, also a global role in Dell, um, working all across EMEA and out in uh, Austin, Texas. Um, which was great looking at uh, global supply chains and um, acquisition processes uh, and looking at all the good stuff that Dell was doing uh, from a customer centric uh, perspective, which was kind of great. And then from there, worked in, back into the, uh, into the NHS in the UK, uh, looking to uh, improve all the, the back office processes uh, throughout the UK and, and offshore in India getting teams collaborating and working uh, and connecting uh, efficiently and effectively and then also looking at improving patient pathways. And no matter what sector I've actually worked in, it always comes down back, back, back to the same issues. And, and it's how do you get, fundamentally, how do you get teams working together uh, uh, to free up time uh, and, and work on their processes pulling in the knowledge and the capability that they have, making sure that that is really kind of brought to the surface. Uh, and in essence, it sounds cheesy, but just getting the groove to improve. Uh, but, but everything is all about teamwork and how we engage and invigorate those teams to uh, fulfill the potential that they have, which in turn helps optimize the processes in the companies that they work with which will then deliver better service and quality to their customers. And it's ultimately, it becomes an engine for profitable growth if done right. So that, that's probably yeah. a, a long, <laughs> a long spiel there, Noah. But uh, yeah, that, that is in essence, 
the background. No, no, that's that's perfect. I also I've I've heard you um, now throughout our our newfound kind of professional relationship. I've heard you say the the in the groove to improve many times. And I just want to let you know that you don't have to preface it with this might sound lame or silly. I love it. It's a great saying. Keep up with it. <laughs> um, but one one thing you mentioned and, and really resonates with me is, and I had a very similar experience coming into construction is like that common sense effect, right? It's like yeah. this is this is how we do everything, right? If if we're walking to to work, we're taking the shortest route. We we know how to make this the most efficient we possibly can. Right. We know how to do this. And and I would love to just hear kind of your your experience, because mine in turn was pretty mind blowing, to tell you the truth. When when I'm looking at half a billion dollar data centers prior to getting into this industry and then I'm looking at high rises and the Boston skyline and New York City and all of these buildings, I guess, you know, 10, 15 years ago, when I was thinking about it, it's like, this must be really dialed in, right? This must be so technology savvy, so plan process savvy, because like, look at what they're doing. And I was pretty blown away by the, some of the archaic and, and lack of efficient processes that, that I came upon. Was that kind of because we we both got into a place where we learned that kind of lean or TPS system right away. So then we got to look on the industry in the eyes of already knowing that instead of going into kind of a command and control process or whatever without knowing that and then learning lean or something like that. So what was your experience kind of moving those from those two jobs? And was it like, what are these people doing or how does this even produce any financial income or ROI kind of talk me through that. Yeah, absolutely. The, um, well, I guess when I go and have a look at any kind of process uh, and everything, the, uh, my sort of natural default sort of thinking is, is trying to understand, well, what's the current best way. Uh, so, so when I talk to people, I'll, I'll ask them, well, what is the current best way of actually doing that? process and they're like well this is the way that we do it yeah but is is that the current best way of doing it and uh, and and to, to identify that current best way um it needs if you've got more so going back to my steel making kind of background we had five it was a five shift operation and um and unless you actually sat on each shift and understood what they did which is what i did do uh, you started to bubble up and actually see that actually there's little gems and little nuggets um, that you could steal from each of the shifts that they do well, and the, but they do different things well. So when you start to pull those kind of current nuggets together and flesh that out as the way of working, you then have the current best way of working, the combined goodness uh, um, and, and best practices that that's currently available all pulled together to form the standard process um and 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 current is important because it's never um uh, as opposed to a lot of things in construction where they're cemented in place the current practices should only be the current best way they're, they're not cemented in we need to kind of continually change advance and improve um 
but yeah so when just talking in that language and, and saying well so what's the current best way that it, it was quite um evident that there was no appreciation um certainly on the sites i worked with of what that current best best way was and there was e even a, a focus on uh, almost i'd say like the old school time and motion type activity so for example in order to improve a process a construction process out on site let's say it's putting up the uh, the steel work there would be a focus um all on uh, the uh, getting these steel workers to put up the bits of steel faster and uh, what became evident to me is when, when you actually look at the guys working on site uh, nine times out of ten when they're actually doing that value-added work as i kind of call it and putting up those bits of steel the guys are actually pretty productive uh, and they know what they're, that they're doing and it, it kind of works pretty well it's all the things on in, in the construction sphere it's all the things typically that eat time and, and take time out of the programs and and cause all the delays are all the reasons why these guys can't put up uh, steel in that example on let's say if they if, if we plan to put up two girders at nine o'clock tomorrow and then you, you turn up nine o'clock tomorrow and what you what inevitably what will happen is you can pretty much guarantee that those girders won't be getting put up and it's not because the guys aren't productive in terms of how they put up steel it's because there's a raft of things that have prevented them putting up that steel in the first place all these make ready needs so is the area actually available have they got all the documentation that they need is the design or where it needs to be and uh, when people kind of plan these big projects they, they they're quite good i'd say at planning the activity uh, and, and what needs to happen but they don't necessarily plan those make ready needs to ensure all the ducks are lined up for those activities to actually happen um and that's where where the opportunity is as i see yeah. as i tend to see it really i don't know yeah i mean no worries uh so i i really like the the approach and we've spoken before about um coming in and, and teaching them and allowing them to solve their own problems when you leave right and and having that approach and the idea that in some sense the solution is there but in bits and pieces all over the 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 site right all over the process all over the program some people do this well some people do that well and i found that when when talking to someone about say touch plan short-term planning if you get them to explain their process in detail and multiple people within that project to explain what they do maybe not using the the lean jargon or using all of all of the terminology that you and i use on a daily basis but the principles are there the ideology is there and in some sense they put that into motion not always right it's not always there but that kind of collection of all those bits and pieces really create a, a great process and i think it's interesting because i think a lot of people believe adapting and adopting a process like lean or like collaborative planning or whatever it may be is a completely different change from what they've done in the past but really it's that that collection of great process throughout the entire program and collaborating on those things right and 
I was just kind of going to pick your brain a little about your approach in coming into a project where your main goal is when you leave, they can fix their own problems, right? They can they can come in and they can adapt what you've taught them, what they already know, and and collaborate on those. So, and fix a lot of past consulting efforts or or fixing mistakes that have happened in the past. But tell me a little about your approach coming into a project, um, what you typically see, and and how it may not be just radically different than what everyone thinks they're they're doing, right? It's like, oh, Mark's going to come in and everything's going to completely flip upside down, which is not necessarily the case in your experience or or mine, correct? Yeah, correct. I guess the uh, it's the it, it's 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 the difference between what we don't want to be doing is flying in like some kind of crazed superhero and doing two people and then sort of boosting productivity or performance and then kind of jumping onto another project and then as soon as you disappear things kind of inevitably kind of uh, revert back uh, and the weeds kind of grow back so rather than kind of act as these kind of superheroes coming in and, and, and saving the day the, the the preferred approach is to generate these kind of habitual kind of improvement routines that enable all the uh, each team to be uh, um, foster a culture in essence of, of everyday heroes so that they're continually looking driving the program driving the, the things that really matter uh, in the right way uh, and, and surfacing those potential punches or, or issues that are coming their way in a timely manner so that they've got sufficient time to duck out the way uh, and uh, nothing impacts their program or ability to to do what's to do what's needed. Um, so um, one of the I think one of, one of the the best achievements that I, I've had in in my career, kind of work, working with teams, is that, that there was a team I worked with, and um, after we'd we, we'd um, worked with the teams and, and kind of disappeared, um, they actually managed to achieve. A productivity improvement of 180 percent um so so that wasn't us doing it that was the capability and the systems and the approach that was left behind when we turned our back the teams were rocking it and managed to, to deliver real massive step change performance improvements themselves with a new toolkit um but kind of talking to kind of almost the toolkits that we, we it, the uh, we, we talk about three three cornerstones really for improvement are absolutely fundamental. There's the toolkit or the or the tool set. There's the skill set, and the most important thing is is the mindset. So, uh, but, but the, the, we want people almost talking about not meeting the program, but what can we do to kind of beat it uh, as an example, and uh, yeah, and really understand that the why factor behind uh, uh, everything that they're doing and uh, ultimately connecting everything to the uh, to, to the desired outcomes of that program that project and fundamentally as a team that that true north what they're gunning for for their client and for their business yeah no I, I mean it, it's very interesting in a sense that in a very kind of rudimentary analogy, right? If you look at a, a, a college lecture full of students and the professor's there 
it looks absolutely amazing. Professor leaves and it's complete debauchery, right? So the idea of changing the mindset so your teachings continue after you're gone is something that I think about a lot in terms of it's very similar to selling a software or new process and changing the the mindset and how they think about it and not just fixing or promoting features and functionality to save five minutes, 10 minutes, two hours. It's really that adoption of that process that will, that will make change. So what are some of the approaches that you take? I mean, in all transparency, it's more curiosity for myself. What are some of the, the, the tactics or the, the teachings that you do, or, or maybe it's just a matter of, showing them the process and showing them the results that get the buy-in so to get that buy-in and change the mindset so when you do leave that lecture hall it doesn't become you know a paper plane throwing madhouse again but they continue to kind of walk in the in the footsteps of what you taught them yeah so um so and this is one of those answers where it starts with kind of it depends because it depends on the team uh, uh, and, and the culture, and uh, also the, the project and the program, and, and basically what you're walking into, the what 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 the almost the default responses. And uh, so, uh, the, what do I mean by that? Well, I, I remember working on uh, across three large data center uh, uh, projects, and uh, each head headed up obviously by a different project director, uh, and they were in different parts of Europe as well. And uh, anyway, so I had one project director um, that would, uh, and their team was very high performing. They were doing lots of great things, and uh, and, and when you went into that culture, they were quite quite a tight knit team as well, very supportive of each other, um, uh, and and it did have that one team kind of ethos, uh, and that was kind of really backed and supported by this one project director ultimately that wanted to just make it happen. Uh, and uh, was, was was absolutely kind of focused on uh, pulling in anything he could uh, uh, for, for the greater good, in essence. Contrast that with another project director that I'd worked with, and rather than wanting to make it happen, he, his, his, uh, his attitude or default response, and he was a lovely chap, but he'd rather just let it happen. So he thought everything like improvement and anything, any suggestion, he wouldn't block it. But he just thought it would all be delegated and it didn't involve him uh, and uh, but he was just happy to just stand back and let it happen and then um, uh, the, uh, the the other project director was an interesting fellow again another nice guy but he was like he would do anything he could to stop it from happening uh, for, for bizarre reasons and uh, so so there's different approaches that you have to take sometimes with, with the guy that wanted to kind of make it happen and just kind of rock it Sometimes there was a bit of kind of pulling back because he was kind of tempted to motor forward and that there could be a tendency where some of the team weren't necessarily as fast in his way of thinking and he had to kind of pull him back a little bit slightly to make sure everyone was along on that journey and on point. With the guy that was just wanting to let things happen with that team, it was, well, first off, helping him see uh, and, and, and this is the case, I guess, with, with, with a lot of people. So, so sometimes when you meet some of these kind of doubters and, and, and people that are sometimes appear kind of negative or, or put up the barriers, 
um, sometimes they don't get it. Um, so they don't really understand back to that why factor or the benefit, showing me the money. Why, why is this important? Why do I need to give my time to that? So it's helping them see. And, uh, and it's the same, it's no different when you're working actually on the process level, out, out on site with, with some of the guys as well. And uh, sometimes there's, a, there's this fear factor that you're just going to come in and, and get them to work faster. Uh, whereas in reality, we want to get them, slow them down, help them actually stand back and look at their processes, look at how things are, 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 are going on, give them some time to work on the process rather than just continually in it. Because when you're in the process, you don't see um, what you can see when you actually step back and start to work on it. And uh, and some of these individuals, and I know the one project director that I, I mentioned where he would want to stop it from happening. And his reasons fundamentally for stopping all these things, it's like you're presenting, he's running a, a project that's moving along on square wheels and you're presenting a round wheel and he hasn't got time to look at the round wheel and see what, what it can do for him because he's just got all this pressure just to keep pushing, uh, pushing his cart along. So uh, you've got to help these people to kind of almost just get a bit of a breathing space, take some time out, and then start to understand so so actually what what is the benefit that we can do so if we worked in a slicker way then um what does it actually mean for them for their project uh, etc so it comes about all the time the starting point is helping people see and with sometimes with, with certain teams you have to spend more time up front helping some people see than you do with perhaps other teams that almost kind of get this straight away and they're they're just eager to rock and um but the temptation there sometimes is they're too eager to jump into solution mode um before they truly understand the issues and i guess to kind of summarize it the uh, i must revert back to three principles so the first thing if i turned up on uh, on any kind of construction site it doesn't have to be a construction site it could be an operating theater uh, in a hospital or or any company there's an acid test that I, t I talk about, three um, fundamental principles. And it's the first thing in terms of, so whatever it is we're, we're driving in terms of our, our processes, the first thing, can we see the situation at a glance? So do we know instantly whether things are on track, not on track, but good or bad? Um, so that's the first thing, the first question. And then the second question, if that's it, yeah, we can, we can clearly see that we're, we're on track or, or, or we're off target. If we're off target, do we know what the top three issues are that are preventing us from hitting our target or, or, or getting us where we need to be? And uh, and then on the back of that, are our people at the lowest possible level that have got authority and ability to, to make improvement and take action on that metric, whatever it might be, are they inspired to actually do something differently with that insight and with that information? So it's those three principles can we see the situation at a glance do are we really clear what the top three issues are and then are we really genuinely inspired to make improvement on the back of it so that that's my acid test and that that's worked for me um yeah throughout my career i, I remember kind of turning up on one on one construction site and uh, a project director said was basically like, who are you? I haven't got any money, any funding. I can't afford you. The kind of basically, you're okay to the end of the week, and then I want you disappeared. Uh, and uh, <laughs> I remember asking the 
that fella those three questions well hey can you uh, can you just answer these three points um can can we see the situation at a glance on, on the project on the program where are we are we on track not on track what are, what are the top three issues are uh, uh, that are impacting us and are you confident that your boys and girls are doing the right things to mitigate those issues and stop them biting you kind of next week and ideally the other bit is can we see each of those three things within 30 seconds of walking in a room looking at a, a bit of software and uh, uh, or, or whatever it may be and uh, he said I mean, he kind of replied with those um, on the back of me, putting in that little challenge, saying, yeah, great questions. He goes, I can't answer any of them, just a minute. Um, stick around and help me get that um, uh, in place. And uh, I, was, I think I was supporting him 18 months later, not just doing that, but working in other parts of that program and helping them drive Betterman. But, uh, but yeah, so it comes back to that principle kind of focus um rather than jumping into kind of tools and techniques and all these kind of buzzwords and want to avoid all this japanese terminology all that kind of stuff and just hey, helping people understand and see where they can improve and and why it's important yeah no absolutely i mean those working in in technology sales for for years it, it's amazing how I think a lot of people would assume that the hardest question for them what are the top three issues, yeah. right? Because they haven't tracked it. But it, it's amazing to see how many people can't answer that first question. It's like, do you even know what like what's going on? Can you see the situation at a glance? And do you know how late or if you're late or if you're pacing to a to a, or an early finish, a late finish. And it's like, there's they're so little moment that that question can't be answered. Um, and we see that a lot. And we also find that maybe the first and second one can be answered and they know these things, but they purely don't have the inspiration to go fix them. Because as we hear, especially here in the US, and I'd love to here kind of in the uk is like oh well it's construction like this this is how it is this it's manufacturing things you know this is this is what we deal with and it's kind of mutually accepted that yeah well like we're delayed materials are late labor shortage we're going to be late you know it is what it is um which always was mind-blowing to me just in terms of my personality that's never kind of acceptable in my brain um, but moving, moving forward, I, I kind of wanted to, to chat a little, we had a chance to, to kind of speak about, um, past projects you've been on, um, one in particular, um, and I don't, I don't want to say the actual client name, but a large, um, high-end automotive company, let's say. And the, the story that you told there was actually really interesting in, in terms of, how everything can look perfect on the outside, but it, it doesn't work perfectly. And we, we see that a lot with construction, right? Just because you have a clean site and your client is insisting on having a facade of, of perfectness doesn't mean that your, your process is dialed in. So if you're picking up on what I'm putting down, we can kind of talk about that, that story a bit, if you don't mind. 
Yeah, n no problem. I guess just be before we talk about that, j just reverting back to those, those three principles that I discussed there, uh, uh, and, and you have some great points as well on, on it there, there, Noah. That situation at a glance, top three issues, and that inspired improvement. The other question I always ask people, so of those three things, what is the most important one? And, um, and of course, ultimately, it's the latter, because if, you, if you've got the other two, uh, and no one's taking action on it, as an example, all you've got is a reporting culture. So everything that we deploy and put in place is there to invigorate action, ideally the right action at the right time on the right things in the right way. That's what we, we're all about. So yeah, I just thought I'd finish on that little point. Yeah, but back back, back to your, uh, yeah, so it was- my, my selfish question, just because I want to hear the story again. Yeah, so um, yeah, I worked with quite a premium sports car manufacturer uh, in, in the UK, and it was interesting, uh, very interesting company to kind of work with. So when you walk in, and I won't, we won't name it, uh, the, all the names have been uh, hidden to protect the innocent, but uh, it, it's like <laughs> pretty much work, walking on a futuristic, almost kind of James Bond set, so everything is kind of pristine, and this, uh, the uh, corridors and corridors of trophies as you kind of walk around, and then when you walk into the, uh, the manufacturing, the, the assembly lines, everything is pristine and white, uh, and, and on the surface, absolutely kind of spotless. And it's got a real big wow factor when you walk there. And uh, it's so clean and pristine that three times a day, they've got cleaners polishing the floor. And as you're walking around, you see these white, highly polished tiled floors on a production facility. And you can almost see your reflection in these floors as you're walking down an assembly line. So uh, it's definitely got that kind of wow factor. And, uh, if, and, and almost the logic behind that uh, thinking um, was it's, it, it, it wasn't designed necessarily um, with the mindset of a production or manufacturing uh, operation. It was designed with a, a mindset of uh, being a car showroom. Um, so if you're a customer buying one of these high-end cars as part of the uh, customer experience, you could ultimately walk down the uh, assembly line, see your car being built uh, and, and be kind of wowed and then measured up for your seat and everything else. Um, so all kind of really impressive. And uh, our brief at the time was uh, th these guys were, were struggling to get the right bit to the right car at the right time. And uh, th th there was a perception of uh, almost jumping into the kind of solution mode before understanding fundamentally what was going on, a perception where the problem was and what needed to be done. So we were called in to, to, to basically resolve the, uh, um, uh, the issues that the, the senior leaders at the time thought were the reason why they couldn't get the right bit to the right car at the right time, uh, and ultimately help them scale up production from seven cars a day to 14 cars a day. And uh, yeah, so anyway, so once you actually started walking uh, through the facility, it started to become apparent that not all um, is as it seems. And uh, I mentioned the kind of earlier touched on it, that the importance of kind of culture. And the first thing that gave me an, uh, basically a bit of a warning sign, I remember walking down the production line and I saw this young lad and he was fitting a, a lens uh, unit into a uh, 
into one of these cars and uh, all of a sudden it falls through his fingers and it breaks and, and, and smashes on the floor and uh, I, saw, I saw this lad and he, and he picks it up kind of rapidly in, in some of the fragments and tries to hide it behind a rack and uh, so I catch up with him and I say hey up mate uh, um, uh, just seen you kind of drop one of those lens units and he goes no you didn't did you I said, yeah, yes, it's not a problem. Are they hard to fit? And he goes, no, you didn't see it. Uh, I said, yeah, I did see it. It's not an issue. He goes, no, don't tell anyone because I'll be sacked. And I thought, oh, okay. That was an interesting kind of comment, So, uh, which paints um, uh, uh, quite a picture. So anyway, the uh, on, on speaking to this lad, it, become, it became apparent that these things were quite fiddly to fit. They're, they're, they're happening on a number of occasions. And, and that's just one example. If they're breaking these lens uh, units, why a certain part wouldn't be able to be fitted to a car or not get into uh, um, uh, not get into the right car at the right time? Because each one is ordered specifically for a car coming down the track. Uh, and that was just one example. And then once we started to go through it, there was a number of these types of things uh, 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 surfacing, and uh, it got to a point where the um, almost kind of presenting back some of the findings uh, the to the senior leadership team. It was, uh, yeah, the uh, I guess there's a way of kind of uh, uh, massaging the message, but uh, it wasn't well received because it was uh, almost taken as a as an insult to the company, uh, and there was a raft of other things. All of them could be fixed, uh, all the issues, but nevertheless they were there. And um, uh, it just got, kind of goes to show as well, sometimes what you see on the surface um, isn't necessarily what's happening. It's not sometimes it's what you don't see um, that is the key um, essence and, and the key kind of focus and almost the, the limitation uh, towards progress. And this kind of goes back to, um, you might have heard the, the term kind of theory of constraints. So there's a great book called The Goal, and uh, but uh, and a lot of people kind of the natural when they're th thinking about constraints that they, they think about constraints in the process. What, what are the key things that's constraining our ability to to flow work uh, to the customer uh, and, and get the job done? Uh, and people naturally think of constraints as physical constraints. Whereas in my experience working with teams and working with senior leaders um, uh, in particular, what I've found is actually the biggest constraint isn't necessarily out in the process, it's the constraint in some people's thinking, in, in some people's mindsets. And that's the first thing that we need to kind of help them break free of uh, in order to then really make general, uh, uh, genuine progress, um, if that makes sense. No, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's I I want to look back on on the the idea that senior leadership kind of took it as an insult to the brand, to the company, to their to their kind of history or whatever, you know, just yeah. us knowing who we're talking about in the sense that what are some of the approaches that you take cuz yeah. So if I just got kind of touch back on that. So there's a yes, there's there a, a sales tactic. Yeah, Go ahead. There, there, there was a number of things ultimately that that we kind of identified. That that one particular example, the kind of fear factor, 
There was other examples in order to get bonuses. They were pulling parts off other cars to, to, to ensure that cars going through the, uh, the, the, the last gate of the production line, the last inspection light could kind of go through, uh, which is starving a car further down. And, uh, and then fundamentally having um, discrepancies in bills and materials, which means that they weren't ordering the right bits at the right time. So there was a raft of things kind of going on there, um, but all of it kind of fixable and kind of doable, providing that they're initially kind of accepted. And uh, so anyway, coming back to kind of presenting some of these kind of findings, the uh, the, 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 the knee-jerk reaction was, how dare you um, insult uh, my company? Um, I don't insult you uh, for, for not wearing a tie. Uh, as an ex that, that was a comment coming back, um, which is quite interesting. But <laughs> so, how do you deal with that? Sometimes you've got to leave people to that they uh, say, look, um, and we did. We offered the the, the time. Well, let's kind of have a walk out, walk the process. I'm not just kind of showing you a glossy report here and fabricating stuff. The evidence is out there. We can walk it. We can see it. There was a reluctance at the time to kind of do that. The uh, uh, and, and sometimes with those individuals, you just have to kind of say, okay, it's probably a shock to the system. The, uh, the probably a lack of appreciation. Sometimes when you walk through, and it's sometimes it is easier as a, I'd say as a consultant as well. When you're working with teams, some people are fearful, uh, and sometimes unjustly of kind of senior leadership. They just kind of feel intimidated, so they don't uh, tend to open up. And feel comfortable, even if that guy is actually quite an approachable guy, um, surfacing some of the things that they would surface to us. Um, the um, so so yeah, sometimes with those individuals that are almost in that shock and denial, you need to give them a bit of space, a little breathing space, and give them some time to actually uh, reflect on things, maybe walk it themselves, see themselves, and then come to a a a. a, a a condition of acceptance and then almost pull that uh, we would say and on or, or, or cord for support uh, to then acknowledge and say yeah you you were right what can we do to kind of fix this um, yeah. uh, in, in rare cases it, it sometimes fundamentally it comes back to yeah the holding up a mirror to some of the senior leadership so where, where we've been asked, can you go down and fix these people kind of things? They're not doing this, 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 and this, and this is broken, and it's all them, and, and, and fix them. They don't necessarily reason, uh, understand that the reason why they're operating in a certain way is ultimately a, a reflection of a style that's uh, being portrayed uh, um, from, from the very top. So sometimes it comes back to holding up that m mirror uh, to some of these senior boys and girls and helping them see the reflection in it, but then giving them confidence that look, it's within our grasp, uh, our grasp to kind of change what we see there, and and, and we yeah. can do it, and and it's not going to uh, be too hard. The first thing is just accepting that at the minute it's looking pretty ugly, but we can we we can <laughs> look in a few weeks. And there's there's a balance that that I find too in those conversations where there has to be some some level of making them feel a bit uncomfortable about what's going on to to see the reason to fix it. Um, but I had a, a great sales trainer that always said, you can't just storm into a conference room and call someone's baby ugly. 
right? No, so no. you <laughs> you have to right and 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 understand and and take that consultative approach. But it, it's it's it was interesting to me, and the reason I asked the question is like that's that's that first level of buy-in that we talk about to change that mindset because it all trickles down. And the approach may be different with kind of the level of personnel or persona at the company, but the idea is the same where the the tools and skill sets can be improved, but without that mindset change and that inspiration to change on all levels, it never is going to really work out. hundred uh, percent. And uh, so we talk about the uh, our construction projects, really capturing kind of lessons learned and unlocking in those lessons for, for future uh, projects and uh, or even phases so that they're not, they're not learning the same lessons twice and just as we uh, as we try and get our, our customers and our clients and those teams to, to actually work in that way uh, as, as consultants and, and improvement specialists we, we we tend to try and practice what we preach and some of those battle scars that we get with working on projects like that and working with their, those kind of individuals we take lessons from them so so, so now to avoid any type of situation like that, I mean, I thought working in, going back in, in into automotive, which wasn't that long ago, um, I thought, well, the, the guys are kind of leagues ahead of um, the, the culture and, the, and what we see in construction. So they'll be used to kind of feedback and everything else and, and some of the exposing some of these things that they would just be, yeah, it's an opportunity, let's rock it. So that was a big shock to me, that, that, that reaction in that sector. Um, but now, anyway, I've, I've, so, that, that, so that battle scar is, is etched as a lesson learned. And regardless of any company that, that, that we're going in, any sector, any assume, don't assume the level of maturity and, and kind of um, thinking reflex that, that's kind of in there. Um, and, and take people with, with kind of empathy through the journey and, and almost set out that expectation. So, yeah, we can go in on this kind of journey of discovery. But some of the things that we might surface, like how how accepting would you be if we, if this started to kind of uh, come to play uh, and we're up and almost manage that expectation up front uh, and almost cushion the blow uh, as opposed to just kind of yeah get out there have a look and feel and and get into the nuts and bolts of the organisation and then come into a presentation where the first time this this individual had seen these issues was actually in the presentation in front of his leadership team and it was like hey oh, it was a bit uncomfortable for the individual so so yeah it, i probably <laughs> embarrassing the cool kid at school you know in front of all his friends <laughs> yeah i probably painted that initial story that oh it, it was the fault of the individual i think when you look at kind of root cause you could probably say well maybe in terms of that reaction I was part of the root cause of that response by not almost warming that individual up and, and pre-positioning that fellow. But yeah, so uh, they're all the lessons learned that we kind of take forward. And I guess just yeah. just kind of touching on that with, um, with with one of your earlier points there, Noah, the um, in terms of some of the differences on, on construction uh, sites. So if you think of like an automotive track where you've got all these cars going down a track um so what they don't do uh, and we do a lot of work with, with the toyota uh, engine plant which is just really a neighbor uh, to me we, we do lots of sessions where we do construction to production 
kind of uh, masterclasses to take people from the construction sector uh, and have a look and have a walk round uh, and, and speak to the, the people in this engine plant and uh, and then uh, and help them realize that there's a lot of stuff in there that they haven't got to reinvent and that can literally be kind of replicated in terms of the, like the principles in their in their in their world but it comes back to helping them see but yeah where I was going if you think of construction and construction projects and think of a project um, as almost like a car going down a track what we tend to find in construction is is these organizations the, the, these big kind of tier one co uh, primary contractors are almost trying to uh, uh, look at each individual car um, in, in its isolation and, and, and do lean things on, on an individual car as opposed to get all cars that are rocking through their, their production line, all projects working in a consistent lean way uh, of working that's reflective of the, the current best way, if that makes sense. No, no, absolutely. I think the, the, the idea of, of that culture change too on an enterprise basis is exactly what you're talking about where it's i see and this was actually a, a perfect um kind of point to bring up because it was something i was going to ask you is i in my experience i've seen a lot of the, the the best companies here in the states if you you talked about the the story of all the different directors having different opinions about your actions the process and i've seen the most productive companies here in the u.s if i ask any project executive whether they're residential whether they're technology whatever it may be they will have the same answers and they're on the same train right and they're not leaving different trains at different times to different stations and that is such a hard thing to achieve and in the culture of construction, at least here in the United States, it's the individuality is is really the value of that person, right? It's like, I do this this way and that's what makes me so successful and that's my my value, my professional worth to this company because I know how to do it that way, right? And that that knowledge share is not necessarily there and I think that's why we see that culture of like the data collectors where we can collect all the data about each person's process. But if we start looking at it and adjusting because of it, we're all going to be homogenous and doing the same thing, which in our eyes is a great, great thing. <laughs> but in, in that kind of professional worth idea or mentality, it's not so good because now I'm just as important as everyone else. Do you see that as kind of some of the pushback from whether it's your superintendents, your project managers, that, that that internal knowledge and their way of doing things is why they're successful and therefore they are resistant to change? Yeah, absolutely. That, that and compounded by the fact that, to be honest, all these construction projects, everyone think there's things that, there's almost this mindset in construction that I, that I tend to see or, or it tends to resonate uh, to me. The, um, and it's this uh, fundamental feeling that each project is different, each construction project. Yet every project I go on, for example, they're 
continually impacted by kind of late designs uh, and RFIs, and every single one is the same. They always kind of moan about design. And when you look at and just take that, that's one specific thing. Yeah, so uh, I appreciate that building something like the likes of a shard is different from a standard resi block or a, a, a big data center. They're very different beasts, but or each of those projects were all impacted by late designs and, and RFIs and, and stuff. The, uh, so if you take, well, fundamentally the design process, yeah, I appreciate the actual design nuances uh, and, and uh, um, uh, intricacies are different, but the actual process, why, why shouldn't it be a standard process based on and informed on best practice? Why aren't they using, as an example, collaborative planning uh, ways of working um, uh, uh, on their design process. Um, so the n most construction uh, programs are now driven to some degree by a collaborative planning, last planner type uh, uh, approach, but then they've got a procurement program and a design program. And pretty much more often than not, those two definitely aren't driven in the same way, let alone aligned to that optimized construction program. So things like that uh, are, are typically driven by this kind of um, almost uh, reflex in construction that each program, each project is different. Uh, well, yeah, the nuances of the project is different, but the fundamental principles and, and process is pretty much generic as I see it. Yep. The we're we're special mentality. Um, so I know I gotta let you go here. I, I would love to to kind of hear hear the answer to kind of one more question or or okay. um, idea. But what kind of inspires you about the the future of construction in the UK around the world? What what are you optimistic? I hope I hope so. Um, but and and where do you see us going and and what kind of inspires you to make that change within our industry yeah well first off yeah definitely kind of inspired and exciting to, to be honest work having worked across all the sectors of of work and i think the construction sector is absolutely kind of fantastic i think the the legacy of what's left behind when you get involved in uh, even if it's just building someone's kind of regular house and, and a housing estate and i think that the value that you bring in there and the impact that you have for those people providing those homes, everything to an iconic building like the Shard in London. Uh, I think that there's just a massive kind of uh, legacy that, that stands the test of time when you, when you walk away. And, and knowing that you've, you've had a part to play in that is just a fantastic feeling. And I think with, with now more than ever uh, in, in construction, I think it's just a fantastic time. I think finally there's there's technology that is really starting to kind of catch up and coming from a, a, a lean background. I mean, I we used to be uh, a bit of a technophobe as, as an example, because all the, all the technology that people were pushing seemed to be kind of really clunky and, and everything. So I would always say, look, there's nothing better than a dry whiteboard and some sticky notes. And because uh, I, I found in the past that people were getting kind of bogged down with technology and all of a sudden, if they weren't careful, it was all about trying to get that technology to work and ironing out the nuances and clunkiness in it. Whereas nowadays, it's 
it's really refreshing that technology is really kind of catching up so it's now much easier uh, to work using some of these uh, technology kind of um, software platforms but also some of the other innovations that are coming out I think AI it, it, it's it's it, it, on two levels it, it's pretty scary but also really exciting <laughs> in terms of the offering there and uh, I just saw on one of the sites I used to work with um, they've now got a robot dog uh, patrolling the grounds uh, uh, scanning the area and comparing that in the BIM model to the uh, 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 the as-built to to what the um, uh, original design was and see if there's any potential clashes it just looked quite intimidating this robot dog if I'm honest but yeah, you know, I mean you wouldn't have thought I wouldn't even have thought that would happen kind of two years ago so it's amazing how fast things are changing yep no that's I, I've seen those videos and I completely agree with your, your sentiment on the, on the robot dog um, well it's it's and and thank you for 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 coming on um, I'm ecstatic that that we've partnered up and we get to do some great things in the industry um with you guys um i encourage everyone listening to to check out uh mark and and what they're doing over at uh bbi services um but it's been an absolute joy talking to you i hope we get to to do this again mark um and and you and i will talk soon but um have a wonderful weekend and and we'll go from there. Yeah, thank you. Uh, no, yeah, all the best to you. And again, likewise, it's been fantastic working with you guys. Awesome.